Welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast, a hopeful and helpful resource from South Mountain Community Church, a multi-site church in Utah. Each week we will be hearing from our staff as we explore what makes SMCC unique, as well as what it means to be fully devoted and fully delighted in Jesus Christ. We hope this podcast can be a helpful resource for you to take your next step with Jesus. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fully Delighted Podcast. My name is Adam and I get to serve as the pastor of Central Ministries here at South Mountain Community Church. And uh, with me, really most of the time, I mean, Trevor's here today. You're not usually gone. You were here last week. I'm here. You have to be here. You never go anywhere, Trevor. You're just here. I, I travel. I traveled a little bit yesterday. A little bit. Nice. But now <laughs> Eric's back. We had Mike last week. Yep. Which was a great episode. You should go back and listen to that if you haven't. Yeah, Mike's awesome. And then, but but Eric is here today, and so we're continuing in our kingdom is like yeah. content. And and if I could just say, like, I feel like this series is really heating up. I mean, we're coming to the end, but uh, some of the most exciting things that Jesus says about the kingdom are to come, and in, in the series, and so we're hitting it. Uh, this coming Sunday, by the way, if you're listening to this on a Wednesday or a Thursday, you gotta be be here on a Sunday because um, this coming Sunday because we're addressing what I call the scoreboard mentality and mm. um, what Jesus says about that. And it's going to be, it's going to be exciting. I'm really pumped about this weekend. Yeah. You walked into a meeting this morning and you're like, I'm so excited for the content for this weekend. <laughs> I said, guys, we got a heater. I called it a heater. The heater. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Well, yeah, I really uh, just uh, appreciate having you back, Eric. You were preaching at uh, South Jordan this past Sunday. They went to three services, our campus Man, there, which is cool. Shout out to all the South Jordan staff and volunteers and mm-hmm. attenders because it couldn't have gone better. It yeah. just could not have gone better. It was a fantastic weekend. They almost had 700 people there, and um, just the parking lot was smooth, and kids check in and check out was smooth, and um, people's attitudes, they were just so excited. And as a pastor, like three services is really hard to, to pull off. Yeah. I don't even know how to describe it. It's like, <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, it's a it's a ultra marathon. It's a triathlon. You know, you got these three things going on all at once, and it, yep. it's tiring. I felt a little tired after preaching three times, but man, big shout out to them, and, and, and really... Um, Let's just give God the credit. Like he's he's mm-hmm. working in people's lives on that side of the valley, and it's exciting to see. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think what's exciting to see too is just people who, um, man, I just run into people every Sunday who are genuinely seeking, genuinely trying to figure things out, genuinely trying to understand, asking questions, which is a safe place to ask questions. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had an individual who came to you with a question. Yeah, we got a great question. Um, I think I'll read it because it's really a, a response to the sermon. And so I think by hitting this question, it'll take us into the content of the message as we dive a little bit deeper into uh, Matthew 7, Matthew 13, yeah. and a few difficult concepts that I think we could flesh out a little more today in the podcast. Concepts um, like judgment, concepts like thinking you're in, but maybe you're not concepts mm-hmm. like identity and activity, how it all, and how it all fits together. Um, and so I'm happy to talk through that, but here's the question. It's a bit of a long question, yeah. but it's so well written. I just love this question. So, um, he- here it is. You said that judgment is the precursor for justice. Um, and that is what I said on, on Sunday, meaning if justice is establishing what is right and making things right, you have to have a judgment ahead of time about what's wrong and what needs to happen to, to get to that right state. So judgment comes before justice. And if we want justice in our world, in our lives, which we all do, if you've ever said, Hey, that's wrong, or that should stop. Or why doesn't someone do something about this? You pursue, you're pursuing what's right. You want justice, but in order to come to that, you have to have made a judgment already. So judgment is a good thing because it's the precursor to the just world we want. 
Okay, so I did say that. But here comes the question, but what about mercy? Where does mercy fit into this idea? Does mercy come before judgment? Let's just define mercy real quick. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Yeah. Okay, grace is getting better than you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. So um, they kind of go together because both things are nice, but one is not getting what you want. One's getting more than you should ever deserve. I honestly don't know if I've ever actually heard that distinction. That's great. I don't oh, know. really? I, maybe, my, maybe I'm just lazy <laughs> thinking sometimes, but yeah, okay, mercy and grace. Yeah, yeah so I mean, mercy yeah. and grace. We usually say them together, mercy and grace, because yeah, yeah, they're yeah. two sides of the same coin. Both yep. things are beneficial, mm-hmm. but one is not getting what you deserve, and one is getting better than yep. you deserve. Does mercy come before judgment or in conjunction with the justice? All right, so is mercy, not getting what you deserve, happen at the judgment moment? Um, when someone comes to a determination about one's behavior or situation, or does it come when you are doling out, say, the penalty to make things right or to, you know, cut out of the world that which is wrong? You know, where does mercy fit in? I'm coming from an LDS background and I haven't and have been working so hard to accept a model of grace over works, which is wonderful. It it is work. Mm -hmm. I love that. It's not like you just wake up one day and your mind is programmed around grace, which is part of the reason why in this week's passage, Matthew 18, the parable Mm -hmm. of the unforgiving servant, he Mm -hmm. was wrestling with the same thing. Okay, we're going to dive into that. I have to admit, I'm feeling a bit worried after yesterday. Now, I appreciate that. This this, um, tells me we got some work to do. I never want someone to leave worried, and yet wrestling with something new would be normal. We just don't have time in a Sunday sermon to cover everything. Mm -hmm. Feeling a bit worried understandable. I want you to have comfort today after listening to this, that I might still have some works to do to qualify for exaltation. I don't even know if exaltation is a thing outside of Mormonism or if salvation is the end of it. I am a rule follower and very much was a church person rather than a Christian. So in the message, we talked about Christian-ish, people who adopt the traditions, behaviors, and themes of Christianity, but really are lacking trust in Christ. As I've been the last several months trying to secure my worth and identity in Jesus, which is what we talk about constantly, I felt such relief and hope in the concept of mercy and grace. Of course, when we have our identity in Jesus, it becomes natural for us to do good works and emulate him. Absolutely. But I'm wondering about what happens to those in the world who accept Jesus, but didn't ever move from church people to Jesus people. I was under the impression that a great majority of mankind would be saved by grace and mercy, and that all we had to do was accept Jesus as Savior. Can you help me understand more about grace and mercy and um, works in relation to judgment? Whoo! Yeah. So maybe... I mean, really, in today's podcast, I just want to dive into all her questions. I think that's mm-hmm. that would be such a gift to her yep. and others. Let's read the passage. Can we do that? Let's read the parable that was the heart of the sermon, okay. Matthew 13, Yep. and you'll see wh- why we got into judgment in the message and how we are breaking it down to answer her question. I can read it. All right. Sounds good. Uh, Matthew 13, it's 47 through 50. Is that my, my, am I looking at that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So once again... The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There it is. I mean, make no mistake, the separation is coming. The That's kingdom what, is like. <laughs> yeah, the kingdom is like. The king will rule and establish justice. And in order that for that to happen, there is a, a separation coming or a judgment coming. Trevor, take us through just the nuts and bolts of the parable itself and um, mm-hmm. how it connects to the other parables, and then we'll build on that to 
answer some of these questions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, again, as with all the parables, Jesus is using uh, imagery that would have been really common to the people he's speaking to. So even this, like, you know, Matthew 13, there's this whole collection of, of uh, parables that are given as kind of one sermon or one discourse or teaching. Um, he's giving this in the northern region of Israel, uh, around the Sea of Galilee, where people actually earned their living, a lot of them doing the very thing that he's describing here in the parable. So, yeah, again, fishermen, they let this net down, catch a bunch of fish, pull it up on shore, and they separate the good fish from the bad fish. And the question, well, the message is pretty clear. You don't want to be a bad fish. You want to be a good fish. And the question <laughs> Even is, my kids know that. That's yeah. right. And I read this to Jack, by the way, on Sunday morning. He was like, yeah, Dad, I want to be a good fish. I was like, what does that mean? He's like, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I just know I want to be one. <laughs> My first shot at it that I gave in the message was it means don't be a salmon because if we're honest, nobody likes salmon. How? You don't I, like no, salmon? Nobody likes... I people. love salmon. <laughs> See, we can't even define good fish, bad fish as a staff. Salmon you know? is, it's okay. I just feel like it's something I eat because apparently it has omega-3s it's and good it's good for, for you. your heart. It is, yeah. And, uh, but I, in but no you don't way, like the taste of it. In no way do I treasure the taste of salmon. Have you ever had smoked salmon? Because I make good smoked salmon. I'll have to try that. I've not had that before. Okay, I make a good smoked salmon. Okay. Quick quick rabbit trail there. Getting back on course. So <laughs> one of the things we talked about is how these this sermon in the first two, or this parable in the first two that come before it, the hidden treasure, the pearl, and the net, are really like a mini-series within this broader series of parables. And what the first two are getting at is uh, they're describing really the Jesus is emphasizing and even trying to persuade his listeners into understanding the worth of the kingdom, that it's worth more than everything and anything in this life. And then in the third parable of the net, what we looked at this past Sunday, he turns the tables and essentially begins to say with the story, if you fail to grasp the, the inestimable worth of the kingdom then perhaps that is an indication of something that is off within your heart. Mm -hmm. And so the good fish aren't good because they do good things. Bad fish aren't bad because they do bad things. It's not about behavior or activity at all. It's about what you treasure. Mm -hmm. So when Jack says, I want to be a good fish, and you say, well, how do you be a good fish? He says, I don't know. Mm -hmm. What do you tell Jack? I say, good fish treasure the pearl, the which, pearl. Only, which only adds more difficulty <laughs> to the situation. <laughs> Jewelry. Um, well, you know, for Jack to be able to understand that, he has to understand, I think, how um, God's wired us as people. And as a pastor's kid and just being raised um, in our home, and this isn't wrong, parents have to start with behavior. They discipline behaviors so that kids can understand how behaviors influence relationships. And so um, we realize the connection there. But at a young age, at eight, he doesn't understand his identity yet. He doesn't stand as a, understand authority necessarily, although he's learning that from mom and dad that we are trustworthy and good authorities in his life. Um, and so I, I have to take him deeper. You know, what is it that you really love or treasure? What's the prize for you? And I think that language actually does relate. You know, he understands buried treasure. He watches pirate shows. And we actually just watched Lord of the Rings. He was crying through the night because Gollum's so scary now. He can't oh, sleep. No. My, my kids too. We, yeah. I, we couldn't make it to the third movie because yeah. Gollum's terrifying, which yeah. I guess if you're little oh. and he's the same size as you, that's yeah. scary. Yeah. <laughs> that is scary. So in Lord of the Rings, the kids are um, really focused on the one scene. I think it's in the first one where they dive into the water and the guy gets the ring and... Um, I don't quite remember the scene, but uh, I think I was scrolling my phone. Is that phone. the second movie? Gollum murders the other guy so he can have the ring. Yeah, That's okay. Okay. Oh. Yeah, so they're like, what's up with this ring thing? And so that does give me the opportunity to talk about 
what's going on in the heart of Gollum Schmeagel? Like the kids understand he's got something going on. And mm. so it's actually been a good learning thing to help Jack go deeper than just his behavior. But at this point at his age, I do discipline his behavior to help him understand how that connects to relationships. Um, so I don't exactly remember how I took him through it, but we're figuring it out. I just like simple answers sometimes. Yeah. If you're explaining to Jack who's eight, not eight. He's eight, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's probably a relatively simple answer you want to yeah. give him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, not, it's not good fish, do good things and don't do bad things. Good fish, um, love God because of who he is. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my, my idea with there that. There you go. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I did um, one thing. I've been teaching the following Jesus class out of SMCCU this past semester, and uh, the best class from the whole um, you know series of seven or eight weeks was when I had a guest lecturer come in and deliver it. It was wonderful. <laughs> and uh, Terry Butts actually from yeah. the Draper campus. She designed the class and she came in and taught on emotionally healthy discipleship. Uh-huh. And uh, one of the things she leaned into was was sort of um, about idols. And even you know Pete Scazzaro in the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Uh, he talked about he talks about the top ten indicators of emotionally unhealthy spirituality, mm-hmm. which I think you could call Christian-ish spirituality. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, one of them is is denying the past impact on the present. And I know we've been talking about idols over the past several weeks in connection with this little mini series here. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's interesting how uh, Christians sometimes, you know, with all the understanding of the New Testament that we're a new creation, new status, new identity, new relationship with God, we can sometimes almost miss or even try and deny the impact that our past has on our mm-hmm. present. And in a lot of ways, the idols that we cling to, they've arisen out of our wounds, right? Like the person who, um, the reason they work ridiculous hours and are always trying to climb in their careers because of um, kind of the pain that surrounded their upbringing, maybe around poverty and different mm-hmm. things that that led into. Um, but just how the, the idols that we end up treasuring, the, the false treasures we end up clinging to, often arise out of idols. And so... I just thought that was that was really helpful stuff that Terry shared, and, and in connection with our small groups, talking about highest highs and lowest lows. Um, you know, a lot of times the pain that led us to cling to some idol because we believed it could keep us from feeling that pain again. Um, the harm that brought the wound came from relationships, and it will also be relationships that bring us healing. Mm. And uh, yeah, she was dropping lines left yeah. and right. So that's awesome. That I wish I, I wish I was there. I, Terry's great. I'm, love hanging out with her. Um, yeah. And I think, uh, we, we saw that very point in, I think last, uh, two weeks ago in the sermon, maybe it was last week. I kind of forget, um, where the, the rich young man couldn't walk away from his possessions mm-hmm. because it was his God. You know what I mean? Yeah. And mm-hmm. so you do see the idolatry come up, come up there. Um, so yeah, Christian ish, you mentioned that that was the mm-hmm. word that I wanted to teach folks because I think it can be very confusing when someone says, I'm a Christian. And then you look at their life and you're like, but I don't see it. And, you know, so Christian-ish is something that looks similar to, kind of seems like the real thing, but something's missing. It's mixed up, mm-hmm. twisted up, mm-hmm. messed up. And, um, you know, I, there's a lot of people, especially in our country, who love the Christian station on the radio, love to listen to the, the guy on the TV, have the bumper sticker, got the T-shirt, went to the concert, wear the necklace. And yet it is possible to engage with those things and not know Christ. And Matthew chapter seven exposes that, that, you know, people will say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus will say, I never, I never knew you. And they'll say, well, look at all we did for you. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is like, but it, it was for you really. You didn't know me. You were doing this. Your life was full of this type of activity 
but you still didn't treasure treasure me. And I think that helps us determine where Jesus is going with good fish and bad fish, that it's not at the activity level. Mm-hmm. Wicked and righteous in that passage is gets more to the heart level um, and not just the behavioral level. And I think it's important for us to parse that out so that we recognize all activity is driven by someone's identity. And that's what Jesus is driving at mm-hmm. in this section of Matthew. Yeah, I mean, from what you preached on Sunday, I think that's a very good distinction um, to understand, and, and it relates back to one of your main points. So a person's activity is driven by their identity. So that's the, the driver's seat of it. And then your, your, your line on good fish, treasure the pearl, mm-hmm. then that is speaking to a degree about identity. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's where that activity comes from. Yeah. So we said Christianity is an invitation to exchange your treasure for a new tra- treasure, exchange your previous identity for a new identity, exchange a previous authority for a new authority, all of that is before you exchange one behavior for another behavior. Yeah. And I think if you were raised in church, you were taught Christianity is about getting rid of bad behavior and getting new behaviors. Yeah, That's not out of the conversation. It just seems to be properly ordered in the conversation. And in, and in Matthew 7, I think the guys who said, Jesus, look at all we did for you, just mm-hmm. had the order wrong. And yes. so the line in the message was religious people obey to be accepted. Gospel people obey because they are accepted. Yeah. And when I said that, Everybody's phones came out, you know, and they were snapping pictures because that line, especially in a religious culture like this, mm-hmm. is so freeing to people. Yeah. Um, and so that's part of the message. Yeah, because, and, and I think that why people revert quickly to, well, one, it seems like quite often we're raised to just change activity. So change activity, change activity, change yeah. activity. Also, in some way, it is the, quote, easier work. Right. So if we're talking about like layers, right, like the activity is kind of like that fresh soil on the top. But mm-hmm. like what we're talking about, like, no, digging deep to like the bedrock and adjust yeah. just that and then put, you know, have something on top of that. It's yeah. harder work. Yeah, totally. Trevor, you're a C.S. Lewis fan. C.S. Lewis has this line where he's like, just start acting like you love somebody and you'll come to love them. Have you heard this before? He, he says that like about your spouse, like just start doing it and you'll come to find that it's true. And I've always wrestled with that. Like that's activity into identity. And what I'm, what we preach is identity into activity. And it just, you, you do need to understand both angles. It's mm-hmm. kind of like sure. two, uh, I, I don't know how I would describe it. it. It's sort of, yeah, two rails of the tracks. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe. <laughs> I still think identity drives activity. However, you... Well, I still think that. Here's what I would say to C.S. Lewis. He's way smarter than me. I don't know why I'm trying to correct him publicly. <laughs> um, you don't know what good activity to choose unless your identity already kind of starts to understand what activity is right anyways. Sure, sure. But when you do it out of a discipline first, you might come to discover it leads to a delight later. And that is valuable. So like yeah. when someone yeah. goes to the gym and they're like, I'm just going to do it even though I don't feel like it and my identity is not a gym person, I'm still going to do it. Well, you still have a thought about why that's a valuable thing in your life anyways. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. so you decide to do it because you have at least enough evidence to know that it would be a good thing for you. And so that's important. You have a belief driving a behavior anyways yes. and hoping that the behavior then reinforces the belief. Yes. That's yeah. my approach. I think, uh, well, James Clear with Atomic Habits, that like super popular book, he actually has a similar approach to it where it's all about habits, right? How habits are... Um, atomic habits and that it's all about how some habits that are really small can have a really huge impact on your life. And uh, basically at a certain point, he talks about tying in habits to identity. Mm -hmm. So start with the kind of person you want to become and then form the habits on that basis. So you're basically performing your way into an identity. The interesting Mm -hmm. thing is if you, if you take a step back, any person 
and evaluate what are the habits you're choosing? What's the identity you're trying to craft? Yeah. The reason you're choosing it is because you're trying to win approval or even the honor or respect of some authority. And so it's like, it's all still working from that one direction where you're trying to yeah. earn something. You're trying to earn basically mm-hmm. being someone who's worthy of respect and honor, love, delight, all those things. Whereas the gospel is the reverse, where there's an authority who gives us an identity and our activity flows from that. And I even think with C.S. Lewis, the authority piece doesn't enter into the conversation with what he's saying, but it's assumed that it's there. Mm-hmm. The reason you want yeah. to love your spouse with your actions, even if you don't have the desire, or the joy, or the delight in it in the moment, is because of the authority you have that tells you to do that. Yep. Um, and then as you do, the joy fills it. Absolutely. Yeah. Joy is a byproduct, 100%. Mm-hmm. So these right activities reinforce the identity, the right activities, because God designed them, lead to joy as a byproduct, because he knows what how we're wired. So yeah. anyways, um, thanks for helping me think through that, Trevor. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, and so back to the good fish, bad fish. Now that we know a little something about who good fish are, it's not just behavior. It's uh, an identity first. Um, we're still left with this idea of separation. And that's, that's kind of where I took the message towards the end of it is, okay, we're still left with this idea of the separation component. How are we going to work through the separation component? And I, and I just think because our culture, the Western culture and what we value, because of that, we push away from judgment. You know, we push away from it and, um, and, and love things like grace, whereas in other cultures, they would value judgment. And so um, it's important for us to kind of uh, think through judgment from a few different angles so that we can see the value uh, of judgment. And, and so one of the things I think is important in, in the connection between the parables and sort of the mini series is that this parable tells us about future separation. It's the other parables that tell us about the conditions of the separation or what mm. the standards mm-hmm. of the, the, the yeah. standards of the separation come from the other parables, yep. treasures and mm-hmm. pearls. Uh, but it's this one that actually describes the future separation. Yeah. yeah. And so really the Bible talks about two judgments. Trevor, you want to give us the high level view of those? Yeah. High level, like the technical language would be great white throne. Whoa, that sounds scary. <laughs> Why is it called that? Do you have any thoughts? Uh, Can you riff? In Revelation, uh, well, I got it's it. Let's... called that. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's Revelation 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence. This is verse 11. And there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Wow. Sounds like separation. <laughs> Sounds like a separation, Adam. You're right. Um, and so my, my take on Great White Throne, you know, I didn't grow up in church. And so the first time I heard that, I was like, what is that comic book picture? You know, I've been hearing that for a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Great White Throne. What was your thought as a kid? I think it's a lot for a kid to, to try to think through. Um, um, and that's why even when it comes to like eschatology, I'm not super... Um, educated on it anymore like probably i used to be i'm like hey i know something's gonna happen i I understand that it will i'm not exactly sure how to interpret this even sure i know it'll happen i know god will be in control and it's good that's where i've landed on eschatology that's (laughs) that's all right i mean um we have a point in this week's message um i'm just trying to make this upcoming message as clear as possible with the most plain language as possible but i just have this line that says jesus is going to settle the score yeah 
and uh and that score and he already has settled the score and we can be scored in our lives based on what he has done this will come back to um our friend's question um but anyways great white throne white is a symbol of purity symbol of clean symbol of holy great is a symbol of final and big and throne of course is a picture of a king so great white throne is just a picture of the most pure holy and authoritative finality of judgment. I mean, that's the mm-hmm. picture of the great white throne. So that's in the message. I wanted to, you know, I didn't want to say the great white throne judgment's coming, you know, like I just didn't think that would be clear enough. So mm-hmm. we said it like this, the judgment of separation, all right, is based on one's treasure, not behavior. Mm-hmm. But it says based on what they've done right here in revelation 20. So are we wrong? Is it what someone does? How, how would you guys process that? I think the difference is the whole lamb's book of life. It's basically you're either judged according to your behavior or Jesus's. Dude, well said. You'll be judged or he'll be judged on your behalf. You choose. That's exactly right. If you reject Jesus' performance and what he's done, you will be judged on what you do. Mm -hmm. If you choose to accept what Jesus has done, you'll be judged by what he did. That's the gospel. Yep. But when you read this, if you don't have that gospel understanding of the rest of the book of Revelation or the rest of the New Testament, the rest of the Bible, you're left like, I better get busy performing. But that's Mm -hmm. not it. So that's one judgment. What's the other one? Yeah, the other one is uh, what's called the the bema seat judgment. Is the, the bema. What is up with seats? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the throne and the seat. <laughs> yeah, great white throne. Yeah, bema seat. And I want to say the feel free feel free to correct or add on or subtract to this, but um, I believe that the bema seat, the historical context, comes from Greek athletic competitions, mm-hmm. and uh, basically it was a judgment. Uh, not necessarily to punish someone, but basically to dole out rewards on the basis of their performance. Yep, absolutely. So Purdue got beat out, number one seed. Did you? Your basketball oh, 16 guy. seed that lost, right? They they no, lost they to the 16 lost seed. The, yeah, yeah. 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 That doesn't happen very often. Someone better be evaluating that team, you yeah. know. And so I made the point: it's an evaluation <laughs> of performance. Those people are still good people. Um, yeah, just not a basketball. Uh, <laughs> less reward. It is. It's. It's not an evaluation to for discipline but evaluation for reward that is a great way to describe it so in the message we said it like this the judgment of evaluation is based on one's behavior as a christian and for the longest time i was so uncomfortable with that until trevor you because it's like well i thought it was grace and i thought it was all a gift and i thought i was saved by what jesus has done and i can't lose that and that's all true well then why is he evaluating my behavior because you're a disciple and there is work to be done and that is important and so what is the reward in heaven that Mm -hmm. There's still great thinkers that are kind of, you know, not aligned on this. Yeah. I tend to fall into the John Piper camp on the actual reward in heaven. The reward being greater capacity for joy. So John Piper mm. refers to it as it's like everybody's bucket's full. Some people's buckets just have a larger capacity for joy based on how they lived here. So when we mm. serve now, when we love now, we increase our capacity for joy now. We're doing that. I mean, people who are... We talk about it here, fully devoted, fully delighted. They serve, they sacrifice so much, not to, not to earn anything from God, but their reward will be they've increased their capacity for joy by living mm-hmm. out God's ways. Their bucket will be full. Yeah. What if someone's never really done that? Well, their bucket will be full too. And I don't think everybody. I don't think everybody knows the different sizes. You of want the to compare buckets. my bucket and your bucket? <laughs> <laughs> See who's is bigger. That is an interesting question. Um, <laughs> point being, point being, um, that's my way to understand rewards in heaven. Um, yeah. Let me, can I can I drop maybe? Uh, but I could be wrong. No yeah. analogy is going to be perfect. But maybe let me let me let me try. Let me try. 
uh, so all three of us are in here are married. On paper, we're married. We got the ring for it. Mm-hmm. Your ring you is know. a tattoo. My ring's permanently affixed to me. So wow, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not worth um, much. <laughs> but in your marriage, I mean, and and this analogy would break down somewhere. But like, I would love to come to the end of my marriage. However, that ends, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at some point, uh, inevitably. Um, don't want to think that far down the road. But mm-hmm. I would love to look back at my marriage and be like, you know, I wasn't just married, but look at all these uh, memories and things memories, I I, yeah. I did out of. Uh, I just wanted to do great things for my wife um because i could be married i, could, I mean and there are couples out there who are married 50 years and they hate hate each other right yeah. like you know and it's like that and they mm. look back and they're like i mean we were married on paper and that's about as far as it went um yeah so uh, you know not a perfect analogy but maybe maybe some similarities there of like hey you, you there there is the judgment of separation like you you were in christ you were judged on christ's uh works not yours um but then the second one is like well wh- what did you do with that relationship i don't know i i could be really off on that but I, i'm maybe there's some similarities in that in these very important relationships yeah and and that tends to be how the apostle paul describes future rewards too when he tells people you are my reward you are my prize you are my treasure you know what i mean and you are my crown all these pictures of rewards are connected to people and i think the impact we make in people's lives here and now that will echo into eternity and be, we will experience in eternity and that will be so rewarding. Yeah. And Jesus will evaluate that. Um, and that, that's important motivation, not to be motivated by getting in motivating, motivated to honor our King once we already are in and that can't be lost. And yet there's still this aspect of, I want to make my life count for Jesus. And, and so that's, I think that's kind of how these ideas fit together. So with all of that in mind, let's go back to the question from earlier and talk about how, how all the pieces fit together. So now that we've built up an understanding, we've built up a framework for this, let's see if we can address these questions. Um, so where does mercy fit into judgment and justice? That's the first one. So mercy is not getting what you deserve. Where do you guys see that fitting into judgment, which is a decision, and justice, which is an execution of making things right <laughs> yeah i mean i'll just shoot from the hip this is the question about which one comes first i know just right? where does mercy fit in in light of judgment yeah and in light of grace and just oh, yeah yeah boy yeah uh okay i was thinking a different direction it's all right you, you <laughs> bought me time to think about yeah. trevor time what do you i think? mean in a way we we receive mercy because um again mercy not receiving what you're supposed to what you have deserved what you have earned mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. we we receive mercy because jesus received what we deserved on yeah. our behalf um and so yeah it, it almost seems like a timeline question and mm-hmm. i guess you've got those different judgments and, and in particular the great white throne judgment where judgment is doled out and maybe uh, like I, I think you could honestly say we receive grace and mercy all through this life, and yet maybe that's the moment where really the gravity um, and the significance of what we have received in terms of mercy and grace will be impressed upon us uh, greater than at any other. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would just add to that too, that mercy um, comes after the judgment. So judgment says this is right, this is wrong, something needs to happen. Mercy is not, mercy is saying, well, you're not going to have to take on the penalty. Yep. Someone else can pay for you. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where mercy comes in. Eric has violated God's moral commands. Eric has rebelled against a good God. The judgment knows that. We're going to see it in Matthew 18 in this coming parable um, that the, um, the king knew how much was owed. 
Right. That's, that's the scary thing. The king knew the numbers and cents, the dollars and cents. Like he knew what was owed. He didn't go to the person to get that. Um, they didn't get what they owed, which is pay up. Um, they got better than that. So mercy says you, um, let me just make sure I get it right. Not getting what you deserve. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm not going to make you pay your debt. Yep. You deserve to pay. I'm not going to make you. Mm-hmm. That's mercy. Yep. Grace is I'm actually going to give you better. I'm going to put something into your account, right? Or something like mm-hmm. that. And that's and that's sort of justification. That's an important piece of it. Like forgiveness takes something out of our account. Justification places something into it. And so mercy comes before justice in my mind because there's more than one way to make it right. Someone else can make it right by paying your, your price. Yep. So that's where I think it comes in. Judgment says, okay, I know what's been broken. I know what's wrong. I know what right looks like in the future. Mercy is there. Are, there's more than one way to get there. Yeah. Someone else can pay. Someone yeah. else can take on the penalty and you don't have to. And I'll apply their payment to your account. So that's kind of how mercy fits in. It's the, um, the filter in which the judge determines how to get to the right conclusion. Is that clear? Does that make some sense? Yeah, I think it's clear. And I think you helped make it clear for our, uh, the person with the question too. I mean, I, I agree. I think judgment is something that comes first because mercy or grace can't really, they don't really come about unless there's judgment. If there's no right. judgment, if there's no, per, if there's no morality or right and wrong, grace and mercy don't no exist. Per, they don't yeah. exist. Yeah, they don't exist yeah. because you don't know what must be done or what doesn't have to be done. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it's, judgment is almost the precursor. Mm-hmm. Or it, 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 it creates the opportunity for mm-hmm. mercy and grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's probably not helpful to add additional terms at this point, but I'm going to do it anyways. Go so, for it. That's what this podcast <laughs> so is kind of the, for. So. The, the technical terms are, on the one hand, expiation, which is the removal of our sin, and then imputation, which is the uh, basically Christ's righteousness being given to us, imputed to us. And uh, I think you could almost talk about it as mercy being the instrument of our expiation, and grace being the instrument of our imputation. Oh, yep. boy. Now we're going. Wow. Now we're here. What about well exaltation? Said. Didn't our listener have a question about exaltation? Yeah, yeah. So exaltation is in there as separate from salvation. And, um, you know, exaltation, I guess, is arriving at your eternal future. You know, you've been exalted to this level with God. Um, and I would say that Christianity, when it talks about salvation, understands that the end of salvation is you and God's presence. So I don't draw that distinction as harshly um, as other religious groups do. However, salvation um, being saved, uh, you know, is this process of being made right with God. But of course, your life looking like Jesus is called sanctification, which would be different than exaltation. Oh, man. I know. It's so We need a dictionary for this. It's so difficult. (laughs) But but the thing that brings you salvation is the same thing that brings you into God's presence, which is just the work of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So I don't Mm -hmm. don't want to separate how that all works together. Yeah. So just to be clear in our context that we're speaking to, it's not like there's this separate thing that is like... To qualify for. Yeah, it's not, okay, so you have a relationship with Jesus, and then to fully enjoy him, here are the steps, and then there's a level that you get to, and maybe a level above that. Like, there's not that distinction that we see in in the Bible. Yeah, I think the way the Bible talks about, the way the Mormon Church talks about exaltation, I think there's a healthier way that the Bible talks about it as glorification. Right. Meaning you're in 
in God's glorious presence is glorification. And the thing that you did to qualify for salvation is nothing. And so then the thing that you do to qualify for glorification is also nothing. Mm. It is, it does describe the two states or experiences, I guess you could say for the Jesus follower. Um, but the thing that I think is bothering, um, this friend of ours who asked the question is how does what I do or good works fit into that? And I think it's just important to realize, and I think we preached on this a few weeks ago, the importance of good works is that it's just a response. It's a response to, to Jesus. And he will evaluate that with the Bema seat. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and there's a connection there to rewards, but the reward is not exaltation. The reward is not glorification. Mm-hmm. The reward is being in God's presence and experiencing great joy. Well, and yeah. I feel like there's an opportunity here, a teaser, that really what you're going into next in Matthew 18, one of my favorite parables, talks about a response. It is a representation of the wrong response. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. there is response in that parable. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let me just keep looking through this question one more time who accept Jesus but never move from church people to Jesus people. Oh, yeah, so if someone says, I accept Jesus but doesn't move from, you know, just doing Christian behaviors, doesn't really move to true trust in Jesus, how would you lead them through that in their discipleship process? Like, what? how do we go about that, you think? Say the question one more time, make sure I've got it right. So someone says, I accept Jesus, and but they kind of remain stuck in the Christian behavior. You know, yeah, like the Christian-ese, yeah, yeah. the Christian-ish. Yeah. What do yeah. you think is going on with that that person? Um, I mean, there's, there's, I think a bunch of angles you could take on this. I mean, there were, totally. li- there were lines that we, uh, that I think were well-crafted. I think maybe from you, Eric, just about how the gospel is about, um, not doing better, but seeing better. I seem to recall that. Yeah. So um, I think I got that from Paul. Okay. Yeah. Then maybe that was it. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe, um, man, maybe it's possible that they're, uh, maybe not, maybe they're focused on, maybe they're not focused on doing, but maybe not focused on seeing, uh, right either. Um, mm-hmm. again, it could be a treasure thing. Um, so, okay, I accept Jesus, but, and I, and I know lots of people, uh, like this, yeah, I trust Jesus, but, but their lives don't look different. I just, I just don't know. I, I can't say for sure, but, um, boy, if you really treasured that, I feel like your life would look different. Um, mm-hmm. there are things that you treasure and your and, and, and your life is different on that. I was joking with Rodney, one of our pastors here. He just loves cars. Mm-hmm. Cars are his thing. And he knows everything about them. And he says, and he, he was making a joke. He said, my wife will always drive a nice car, blah, blah, blah. And that's fine. That's his, like, that's the thing that Rodney loves. I'm not mm-hmm. going to say treasure, but he, he's very knowledgeable of that. Me, don't I just do not treasure cars, and my life reflects that. <laughs> I just, it just, just doesn't. There's nothing great about that. Now, my, I do treasure uh, electronics technology. Anybody who's into my house knows I have yeah nice electronics, and that shows. It yeah. shows that QR, I treasure that QR codes for Wi-Fi. Oh yeah, if you come to my house, you got a QR code. You can connect to my Wi-Fi and easy. Peasy. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, yeah. So it's easy for guests when they come over. Wow. It, it was very yeah. We stayed with Adam and MJ when we came for our interview weekend, like a year ago, yeah. just just uh, over a year ago, and it was the easiest Wi-Fi experience I've ever had. Wow, because yeah, I treasure that. Mm-hmm. So so my life looks different. So my life looks different. That's what it is. Yeah, totally. So I, I hope for the listener um, who asked the question, you know. You, you don't need to be worried that have I done enough? Jesus has done enough for you, full stop. You don't have to then secretly do more to gain access into his presence of glorification, full stop. It's about Jesus. The thing we're left with is building the right type of world, a just world with the king and the kingdom. And there is work to be done there. Not work to earn his love, 
not work to earn future glory, not work to earn salvation, work to be done because it's the right thing to do as we love God and love others. It's, it's that. So it's a response. And so people who truly understand their gospel identity, man, their lives are changed. Their behavior, their activity, it's beautiful. It's marvelous. It's wonderful behavior. Um, and it's the best behavior because they're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. So hopefully that brings some comfort um, to our listener who had that great question. And um, uh, hopefully that communicates clearly what the Bible says. That's really what I'm after. Yeah. I feel like we've been getting really good questions recently. So if you're listening to this, keep them coming. Sounds good. Yeah. No dumb questions. See you all next week. Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you guys for being here. And uh, yeah, we'll be back on next week. Thanks again for joining us for the Fully Delighted Podcast. If you enjoyed this hopeful and helpful resource, we'd love to have you leave us a review or share an episode with a friend. For more information about SMCC, please visit us at our website at smccutah.org. Thank you for trusting us with your time, and we look forward to having you back again soon.